the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spot Track, S P O T R A C, and grab 40% off that first year subscription. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy November 2nd, day after the NFL trade deadline, which we'll focus on quite a bit in just a few minutes here, going through all the big moves, finances, positives, minuses, negatives, positives, all the good things with Dan Soman. And just a little bit before that, coming up right next, some World Series talk. Was there pitches being tipped yesterday? Are the Houston Astros dead? Are the Phillies really built for this? Dan and I discussed a little bit of baseball, a whole lot of NFL. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Dan, two topics du jour on the menu today. The World Series is interesting. <laughs> you know, I didn't think this was going to be. I think we both kind of thought Houston was going to run away with this. This is not the case. There's a crazy amount of home field advantage right now for the Philadelphia Phillies. They're mashing the ball, which is really the only thing they can do, right, is uh, strike out from a pitching perspective and hit the ball out of the ballpark from a hitting perspective. What the hell did we see last night? Five home runs. Um, I know you're sick of hearing about the tipping the pitch situation, but it's at least worth discussing here for a bit, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, 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 I might've misphrased uh, when we spoke earlier about necessarily being sick of it, but I, I do think it's a little bit overblown in terms of just being in the moment of a world series. There's a million cameras everywhere. Um, it's just, to me, it's something that happens constantly. Batters, pitchers are constantly making adjustments. So um, just to back it up a little bit, um, the discussion is kind of whether Lance McCullers was tipping pitches. Um, I'm not really like a film grinder enough to know. Um, a lot of smarter people are – a lot of people who are smarter than me are saying he was in certain ways, um, which makes sense to me. My my overarching point, though, is that is just that – this is something that is constantly happening in games and when the focus isn't always on it in, in, in the magnitude of a, of a world series. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's really my only point here is that I'm somewhere in the middle that it, it's, there was probably something there that they picked up on, but it could have just been variants that they hit five home runs on, on well, those pitches. But there was obviously something, something something there i just don't know specifically if it was you know the the height of his hands on this pitch are you know mean slider or whatnot but um no doubt there was something i mean there's no question that the cameras got bryce harper conveying a message but i think that's where the conversation should start right there it's one thing to say hey when his arm is down a little bit the slider's coming across it's more of like a swerve or or when you see the two fingers on top it's going to be a fastball so dial up it's one thing to say that you know, to a guy who's on deck and then has to play defense and come back and then, you know, Alec Bohm comes back and hits the bomb. Then the same thing happens with Shorber. Then the same thing happens with Hoskins. It's one thing to, to convey that message to the dugout. It's another thing to go out there and hit five home runs because of it. You know what I mean? Like, these guys have to be major professional home run hitters to do what they did last night, which they are. This has been their moniker the entire season. They were, they were paid and brought on this team to hit home runs, and that's exactly what they did last night. So, I, I just think it's 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 cool as shit that that a guy like Bryce Harper who could be out there for number one, right? Could be out there for himself. I think a lot of people perceive him to be that way, and he's not. He's not that way. He is a he loves hitting baseballs, loves it. And you could see last night in that moment, he loved that he had an edge. He he saw something, it hit exactly where he thought it was gonna be. 
and he was happy as shit to to move that message around that dugout. And those guys are just monstrous home run hitters. So I, you can take the tipping out of it because you're right, Dan. This this stuff happens 150 out of 162 games. Guys in the dugout are bored as hell. Guys in the bullpen are bored as hell. They're this is what they love to do is to read these kind of things. So. Uh, right, it's overblown right. in that regard, but the the end result is not overblown. That was amazing no, last night. You're you're totally right. I, I'm my main point is that if no, I mean neither of us played baseball at a super high level, but right. for people who have never sat in a dugout, if you get struck out by a pitcher, you go back to the dugout and you figure out how the hell you're going to hit him with the next iPads. time, right? Hell yeah, yeah, right. And so like, and that's at little league travel ball college ball like whatever level you're playing at that's how i mean if you're playing beer league softball you get pissed off and want to hit and hit a home run the next time so um that's my only point is that these guys like bryce harper who are super nerds about this kind of stuff um they're constantly looking for an edge and they're going to pick up on the smallest little things um does it translate all the time no last night it totally did and um They hit four or five home runs out on, on, on off-speed pitches. So you've got to sort of think there's something there. Um, I just think it's a, a happy medium. I feel like every headline yeah. I've seen this morning is tipping, you know, Lance McCullers <laughs> lose games, but he loses game by tipping pitches. It's kind of, it's like, like his post-game interview, like, obviously he's not going to say, yeah, I screwed up, but uh, I mean, like in this way, specific way, but he just said, I just flat out got beat today. And that, and that could be it as well. So that, that's my only point. You're right on it. It capitalized in a big way last night. And by the way, this, know, they won the, game. The, the sentence that Bryce Harper said out loud could have very easily just been, he can't locate his fastball. He's going sliders and, and changeups all day, sit on the breaking stuff. It could have been that simple. It, it, it might have nothing to do with he's moving his left leg when he's, you know what it, I mean? Like it could be exactly. something extremely basic and maybe it was, but they, you still got to go up there and get it done, which they certainly did. Um, anything else with the World Series you want to talk about here? Uh, is this headed towards Philly's favor here? Do you think they have the upper edge now? Obviously, two to one, but it just seems like the momentum's in their favor right now, right? Um, a, I'm not a big momentum guy. I think these... <sighs> These series are under such a microscope. Every game is so huge. I think once you feel like it's flipped, uh, you're sort of in a bad space. So I know exactly what you're saying from my personal perspective. I think it's still wide open. Um, the Houston depth that we loved three days ago, it's still there. Um, but I mean, let's give credit where it's due. The Not that you're trying to take it away, but the, the Phillies snuck in on the last playoff spot. Um, they have a roster largely constructed around um, hitting a home run. Uh, like we've talked about, can go hot or cold at any time. Um, they're sort of just mashing the ball right now, and they have two stud pitchers, which can carry you through a series. Can, so, can we talk about uh, that, that stuff? Because I feel like this, the starting pitchers of the, of the Philadelphia Phillies didn't get enough love, us included. I, I mean, Ranger Suarez was on a massively hot streak here coming down the stretch. He was fantastic again last night. They're going to throw Aaron Nola up there tonight, Dan. Who's the, who's had his best season by far, who's finally broken out and, and deserves this kind of run with Philadelphia, a team he's been with his entire life. I, I feel extremely comfortable with Aaron Nola tonight against Christian Javier. I don't know where you sit on this, but and, and then it's Syndergaard, maybe a bullpen game after that, and then they get right back to the top of things. So uh, it's not like it's advantage Houston anywhere right now, in my opinion. No, I, I agree. And that's why you, your, your earlier point, looking at it, I mean, 
the the favorite would be would seemingly be Philly based on the setup. Mm-hmm. My my only point is very you know in a one game sample maybe maybe it's a one one game in the seventh and Houston finds a way to win a two one game late or something like that and then the Aaron the quote Aaron Nola advantage is sort of out the window. So um, but from that perspective, yeah, man, the the they, you have two stud pitchers, you have a decent bullpen. Um, you know we've crushed their defense all year. They made some moves at the deadline improve there specifically with Brandon Marsh in center field. We see that, you know, Atlanta made these small little moves last year, which carried them to a world series. That is looking like an early, uh, uh, one of those moves that, you know, is making a subtle impact that didn't get a lot of attention in the moment. So, um, but yeah, I, I certainly am on your side going up, um, at home up two to one going with Aaron Nola um, as your starter in game four is a really nice, really nice place. To yeah. Be. By the way, Houston can hit five home runs today. They could do yeah, it today. exactly. I mean, that, that's why yeah. that, that I'm so in the, I guess that's my betting perspective. You know, like if the market is all of a sudden in love with Philly, I mean, I'm just like inclined to take the other side. Um, but that, that's just like how my mind works. So your, your frame of point, your, your point mm-hmm. is totally on, on the head for sure. Speaking of betting, I saw somebody had a four home run parlay last night. Did you see that? Oh, no. They took four of those Phillies players. They hit a home run last night. $100 bagged 110000 So, man, I don't know why you'd ever do that with your life, but good for that person. <laughs> Degenerates. But I mean, I guess not a bad team to do it with, right? I mean, yeah. if there's a team that has a big chunk of their lineup who can run into a couple home runs, that's it. But I, I you know, yeah. in a World Series against a good team like Houston, you wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't count on that so all right let's pay the bills the nfl had a big day yesterday bigger than i anticipated i was sitting here doing baseball work and uh just i I, you know basically saying i'm just going to toss in the trades as they come in because it's going to be marquez callaway to the packers and nobody gives a rat's (laughs) ass right and of course it was you know five studs two blockbusters 10 total uh just really really good stuff i have a lot of positive things to say here which is very unlike me when i'm talking about the nfl but um, I guess just your overall sense to start. I mean, you've, you've kind of let this percolate a little bit and some of these moves I think are going to be more important than others, but where, where do you stand from yesterday's craziness? Um, nothing super surprising. I, I, I sort of think the biggest splash move came earlier in the week with the whole Kadarius Tony thing. Like yeah. that might be the move of the deadline that didn't get a ton of press just because of the circumstances and the fact it didn't happen on deadline day, but um, no like major splash moves in my opinion, unless you, I mean, maybe Roquan Smith is like a, you know, especially in our neck of the woods talking about contracts. I know that opens up a lot of talking points for us um, with the Lamar Jackson stuff, but regardless, um, Nothing like majorly surprising here. So we can dig into a couple of these specifics if you want. Yeah, I did a, I did a quick trade candidate piece right before yesterday's deadline. I uh, found 25 players that I thought were going to go. I, I don't know. I hit on like eight of them. But I, did, I had eight running backs on this list. One of them moved. Jeff Wilson. He's the only one that moved. Kamara didn't go, obviously. Kareem Hunt didn't go. Josh Jacobs didn't even get discussed, it sounds like. Melvin Gordon didn't go. Cam Akers is just about to get released at this point, and Antonio Gibson didn't go. That surprised me a little bit because I do think that the running backs are so plug and play right now that we should just be seeing these guys getting bounced around. I mean, you, you noted this morning, there's probably 12 running backs about to hit the open market that could be impact players from a fantasy and a real football perspective next season, next March. So 
I was a little surprised we didn't see more movement there. I wasn't as surprised with the wide receiver stuff. You know, Jerry Judy is going to be an impact for Russell Wilson. You probably don't want to give up on that yet. The Brandon Cook's contract was just way too daunting next year to move. I, I guess I'm a little surprised we didn't see more weapons move because contenders need it. And you, you hit the nail on the head. Kadarius Tony stuff has already been forgotten about, and he may be one of the most important moves of this entire mo- uh, deadline. So we'll see where that plays out. Let's start with this because I'm talking weapons. How good is the Hawkinson move? And do you think that Detroit should have made it? It's a it's a good point. Yeah, maybe that's the biggest splash move. It's big, um, right? It's really big. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it, it also this is this is why you know information is always key. At the at the time of it, it was sort of eye raising because we didn't have the Irv Smith news, and then we find out a couple hours later that sure. he's out eight to ten weeks. Um, but he so wasn't that productive makes, either, Dan. He wasn't. They they needed to upgrade uh, this one way or another, and this is just a massive upgrade. Yeah, that's fair. They were going to Johnny Munt and down their depth chart a lot. Um, so I, I just I guess I like Irv Smith as a talent. It's never really translated, so that's where I come with that point. But um, yeah, Hawkinson adds a whole other piece. This offense. Um, I mean, you could argue this offense might get held back by Kirk Cousins at some point, but um, otherwise, it's set up for. Total success, in my opinion, right? I mean, and it um, also aligns with Cousins. So Hawkinson's fully guaranteed this year, dirt cheap on the minimum, and he's his fifth year option next year at nine four is fully guaranteed, and Cousins is aligned with him now, fully guaranteed thirty five million through twenty twenty three. So you can kind of now paint the picture of what this Minnesota window looks like, and I think he's going to be a major factor. He's to me, he's the number two now behind Justin Jefferson, and no disrespect to Adam Thielen, I just think this guy in a Kirk Cousins run offense should benefit greatly from this situation. So I think they finally found their guy. Irv Smith's an expiring contract, by the way. He's going to hit the open market, uh, injured at some degree. So two birds, one stone here. They gave up a, 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 a bit, right? The, the second and a third is a big draw for a, a $10 million guaranteed tight end. But I just think they see what we're talking about here, which is massive value. Yeah, and it's a it's a total win now move. I have no issue with the Vikings seeing a, a void in that division. You know, we talked about this earlier in the year. If the Packers don't run away with it, somebody's going to emerge, and we we like the Vikings, and here we are seeing it play out. That's a great I point. Think, they smell blood, no question. Yeah, so so I don't really have an issue with the price tag now. If Hawkinson was an expiring contract, I would feel a little. I would obviously feel more uneasy about that price tag, but it would probably be lower as well. So if you want to add Hawkinson onto this team for the next year and a half, and this is your window, these two years, why you see um, a void in the division, I don't have an issue with the price tag. I don't X's and O's. I don't know how Hawkinson fits specifically on the Vikings, but like you had said, it seems like he will be um, a good plug and play there. So yeah, I like that move quite a bit actually. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. One more weapon and then we'll get to some defensive stuff. Well, I should say two more weapons. Uh, I got a fear. I'm going down the list here. As I, yeah, I'm thinking go. out loud. Um, talk me off the chase Claypool situation. This might be the one negative I have today. Do you, do you see this as a negative or a positive? All right, let's pair. Wait, let's let me pair. frame it this way too. The Packers offered a second for him, and Pittsburgh chose the Bears because it's obviously going to be a better draft pick. Yeah, so, so knowing that contenders wanted him, the Bears going in on him is means what? <laughs> All right, so the clay. I want to just let's talk the Claypool and the Calvin Ridley trades sort of adjacently. So we historically have seen 
sorry, let me back up. We have no idea what Justin Fields is, right? Yeah. We don't really know what Trevor Lawrence is. We are sort of getting a little bit better of a, a analysis on him this year. So we, we've seen, you know, quarterbacks, Josh Allen, uh, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, guys like that take major ascensions in their second or third year once they get an alpha wide receiver in there. Um, I I feel like these two moves are attempts at that to sort of put a what they view as a major playmaker around their young quarterback to see exactly what they have and if they can make an make a leap with that player. Now, is Chase Claypool that player? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and the contract circumstances of this are a little puzzling to me that like, does this, I mean, I would assume the signals to you that they have some sort of extension plans, or do you really think this is just a one year? The second round pick says they should, but it's basically 2.1 million non-guaranteed now through the next, through next season. So they have to pay I mean, next him. year. You're right. That yeah, is, they do, I, I they keep thinking he's an expired free. No, they get yeah, next year. Right. So, but even still the second for that kind of term on a player that probably isn't the number one, it's a lot. You know where you can get alpha number one ride receivers, Dan number 43 overall next year. Yeah. Right. That's where these freaking monsters have been coming. Yeah. You're getting them late in the first round, but look every for three, at least three straight drafts. There have been five wide receivers that have been immediate impacts in this league. Immediate. I don't know why that would stop. College football is a passing league, as we know. So I, I don't know that I love this move. Here's another reason I don't love this move. They have $114 million in cap space for next season. That's worth a $218 million cap. It may be 230 So they may have $125 million of cap space. You know where else you get wide receivers like Chase Claypool? Free agency. So... Could they, would they have had to pay more to do it? Yes. But I just think this team right now that needs so much and now needs an inside linebacker, right? They need, they got to replace Rokon Smith. They got to replace Robert Quinn. They got to find an offensive line. They need everything. They need literally everything. Giving up a number 43 pick for this player, regardless of how cost controlled he is, is terrible. This is the one really swing and a miss that I think has, even though. You're right about the Justin Fields stuff. They should be doing what they can do to at least see if he's a guy. Haven't we already seen a little bit enough to know that he's probably worth keeping for another year, maybe two? I think we've already seen it. Yeah, I'm totally fine with it. And that's why, like, he's not, we don't know what Claypool is, right? He doesn't seem like a dynamic receiver. He seems like, you know, he played with Ben uh, limited Ben Roethlisberger the last few years. We're not really sure if he fits in the slot or outside. Like he's been moved all around in Pittsburgh. Um, so I just don't think the problem is is that he was on the, in the wrong offense. I mean, he had so much cover from a wide receiver standpoint, right? Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. He's had plenty of playmakers around him. I don't think the problem was he wasn't getting enough reps. You know, I I worry about that now. Yeah. and, And it's a fair point. I guess I, I'm just looking at this. Why did the bears do it? They had to identify him as a, a complimentary fit yeah. um, to Darnell Mooney and the rest of that offense. Cause really it's, it's Mooney Komet who has done literally nothing this year. And then a bunch of no name wide receivers that most people listening can't even identify. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of them have any size. So I, I can see them just saying, let's go get our post up slot 
um, weapon in the middle of the field. Let Mooney do his thing outside. Just we can run a lot more with Justin Fields. They kept David Montgomery, who's on an expiring contract. Um, that would, I mean, the Bears can't pass protect. Neither can Khalil Herbert. So it seems like the Montgomery move was more of like a let's not like let's set up field like let's keep yeah. fields in a decent spot. So I, I don't know. I'm putting it all together and just trying to give them the smallest benefit of the doubt that they have a plan for this and didn't just give up a second I, round. I pick. hate asking uh, this question, but I have to ask, is there anything to the fact that the Packers were in? Um, I mean, maybe, but I mean, the, like, the Packers are basically the same team right now. I mean, yeah, I mean, but if that's how you're op- not, but if that's how you're operating your, if, like if you just gave up a second to sort of try and block a team from winning when you're not even a contender, like if that's the point you're making, I, if that's how you're running your organization, good luck Chicago. Right. right? That was my get up question <laughs> of the, of the, I'm no, 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 it's, it, it might, it might very well be, but I'm just saying, I mean, all right. Yikes. Kelvin Ridley. I love this. I, I actually really love this for the team. For, for, for everything that kind of comes with this, here's the one thing I'm trying to confirm. And, and I, hate, I hate that I don't have this answer yet, but I, I'm efforting. I've asked the agent. I've asked a couple of other people in my neck of the woods. I, I don't think the salary is guaranteed anymore, Dan. I think the suspension voids the guarantee on this fifth-year option, which changes everything. Because, <laughs> and the reason I, I actually started to look into this more and more is the terms of the trade. So the terms of the, of the draft picks, there's a ton of conditions on him. Number one is when he gets reinstated. So if he comes back right away next year and Roger Goodell says, all right, you've, you've served your time, you're done, you're back with the organization, good to go. Next year becomes a fifth-round fifth pick. I expect that to happen. I don't know why Calvin Ridley would not be reinstated. I, think, I honestly think it was too long of a suspension to start. Oh, the league should fold. The league should just fold up if Ridley is out next year. I mean, no if you're going to... Especially if you're going to hook Deshaun your, Watson back after 11 weeks. But yeah. Anyways. And if you're going to hook your trailer to DraftKings and all yeah. this other gambling stuff, you better just fold it up. If you're going to make it, sorry, that's a tangent. No, you're Keep right. No, so <laughs> let's just assume that happens. And it's a fifth round pick in 2023. The 2024 draft pick is based on, he's got to make the roster next year. He's got to catch some balls and play a bunch of snaps. And then if they end up extending him in Jacksonville, that fourth becomes a second, all the way down to a second. But the fact that there's a make the team condition in this makes me believe that that, that $11 million is not fully guaranteed anymore. Because how else would he not make the team? You know, they're not going to cut him after giving up these conditional picks with an $11 million. They're not going to pay him $11 million to walk away is what I'm saying. So I believe, and I think it changes a lot with this move, that it's completely up to the Jacksonville Jaguars. If he's reinstated, if he's in shape, if he can make that roster, then he can make that $11 million. If not, I think they can walk away from this scot-free. So that's a big part of this. That's a caveat that you might not be hearing elsewhere right now. I'm trying to confirm that, but I think I'm reading the tea leaves properly that the guarantee was voided based on that suspension. So, which by the way, is more salt in that wound to that gambling stuff. It's just the, the worst, but um, let's just take all that away. And let's just say it's a one-year deal for Calvin Ridley on Jacksonville. How do you not love this? Yeah, I'm totally on board. I alluded to it earlier. I think this is like an effort to, um, you know, surround Trevor Lawrence with like what they perceive as maybe an alpha number one um, that they can get for sort of pennies on the dollar in a year where 
they're, you know, they took a step forward, but they're probably still rebuilding this year. Right. So you add Christian Kirk, who's a nice piece, but I think we're kind of seeing it play out that he's not a one a receiver. Um, so I think getting Ridley into that other core that they have there, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, um, Evan Ingram, who I think is on a short-term deal. So maybe Expiring. that's not a long-term Expiring, piece, but yeah. yeah. So, but you, if you can move forward with Ridley Kirk, um, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, I think that's a really nice core to build around. So I, 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 that is my assumption what they're trying to put together there. And I really, I really like the effort at, at minimum. I mean, if the move doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but, but they took a shot. I think we're, no, I think actually you're framing this properly. You originally tied this to the Bears situation with Claypool. And I actually think it's more that than we are, we're saying out loud here. Trevor Lawrence is not a, a shoe in here. <laughs> okay. He's been wildly inconsistent. I realized last year was the worst in terms of Urban Meyer and blah, blah, blah. But he is not settling in in any, in any way, in my opinion. The decision making's weird. He's not mobile, which he was at Clemson. I just don't know that he and Peterson are on the same page yet, or, or, or maybe that offense is still kind of maturing into what this roster could be, but maybe this is the answer. Maybe this is simply what you're talking about. Christian Kirk just isn't getting open enough. Evan Engram just isn't getting open enough. So Trevor Lawrence isn't able to extend plays enough to make these things thing click. And a guy like Calvin Ridley can do that. We saw him do it with Matt Ryan, who <laughs> for all intents was was all but washed up the last couple of seasons in Atlanta and now is officially washed up. So I do think there's a lot to this move with Trevor Lawrence, because I'm just not sure that they're ready to say he's our guy. And after next season, we're going to be happy to start talking extension. I don't think we're even close to that. Do you? Um, no, no. I think there's tons of question marks around him um, for being a one-time bona fide top overall pick. No questions asked. Um, yeah. It certainly hasn't totally panned out, but um, I'm not ready to write him off. No, I, my, the consen- no. the con- not that you are, not that you are. The consensus that I sort of see in the crowds I follow is that he's going to just settle as like maybe like a top 10 quarterback that never gets above 10. You know, like he's just going to be a, a good career, a solid career quarterback, but never really take a step into the elite threshold. Um, and that kind of makes sense to me. I mean, we see quarterbacks play above their heads. Um, I mean, maybe is Kirk Cousins like a nice comp? I was just maybe about not to one say, for yeah, one, but about like a, a guy that can maybe elevate some players around him is not really going to like put the team on your back at any certain point, but is also not going to destroy things for you. I mean, maybe you should have a higher ceiling with your starting quarterback than that, especially this early in his career. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I have no problem with either team going for it. I mean, the Bears price tag was a little bit more concerning, especially considering that if there is some flexibility with the Jacksonville stuff based on the trade that you, that you laid out earlier. That's, fa- that's fascinating. All right. I'm going to let you pick where are we going next with this? Um, let's talk, talk to bills. Dolphins? Oh, bills. I let, oh, let's, yeah, let's let, talk about the entire AFC East, honestly, because it was, it was a thing, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, we have two teams now that are clearly all in and we'll start with the bills. I know you like this move. We kind of saw this one coming locally here, but I know you like this move with Naheem Hines. Yeah, I I mean, I'm, I've liked Naheem Hines quite a bit. I think he's a really reliable, um, dynamic player in a number of ways, a good, solid veteran that this team was probably trying to look to add. 
Um, seems like Frank Wright really never found um, a, a solid, dependable role for him in Indy, despite like every year him talking about it in the off season. So despite them, ex- and that's, I mean, I think we both kind of raised our eyes um, when he got expended, extended not too long ago, based on how they never have really utilized him. Right. So um, yeah, and after drafting JT and then extending him, it was kind of like, you know, what are they, what are they doing there? But um, regardless, the bills, have been looking for a bona fide pass catching uh, running back for quite a while now. Um, they were in on Chase Edmonds in free agency. They were about to sign JD McKissick before he went back to Washington. Um, they traded up, I believe they traded up uh, into the second round to get James Cook. Um, James Cook is talented. I think we see it in flashes so far, but it seems to me like they just don't trust him um, quite yet in a season that is very much their Super Bowl window. Um, in that same breath, I, I'm not writing James Cook off. I actually have uh, pretty lofty expectations compared to the field um, for him the rest of the season. Um, I, I just think they wanted a dependable veteran in that role because it's pretty Zach, uh, Devin Singletary gives you very limited, uh, pass cat, uh, from like a, um, from like, he's, he's just not super dynamic. I guess he's not your straight up pass catching running back. James cook is more of that. Um, Zach, Zach Moss gave you kind of neither of anything. So it, to, to flip that and get a more dependable third, uh, running back on the team, I think makes a ton of sense for the bills. So, okay, so um, and, so, and I think just to note, I think, we could see a lot of Naheem Hines and James Cook on the field a lot, whether you split Hines out wide yeah. or in the slot. I mean, we've seen this team have not a ton of wide receiver depth already earlier in the year. So we could see one of those guys flip into more of, I mean, we heard that when they drafted Cooks that like, yo, this guy might not be a, a straight running back. He might see a lot of split out wide. So I, I think they have plans for these guys is all I'm saying. So that, that was going to be my question. Is where where does this ha- where does this go next year? Because Hines is is locked in, not locked in. He's signed through twenty twenty four, on four point eight next year, five point five the year after that. None of that's guaranteed, but none of that's huge either, right? That's kind of standard running back money, especially if this guy's going to catch some balls out of the backfield, which he's expected to do. You mentioned James Cook. That's kind of the the younger version of this. Devin Singletary's uh, uh, about to hit the open market this March. So they don't really have that three down running back on this roster right now. They have two kind of pass catching gimmicky at running backs on this roster. Does this stick in 2023 or do you think this is a, a true rental situation for bills and height? I really think it could go either way, Mike. I think they set themselves up nicely with some flexibility here. I mean, like you, you off the top of my head could tell me better if they're contract, if their financial, you know, their payroll situation next year is set up where like, are they really set up to pay a running back $4 million? I don't know that, but if they are inclined to do that and you have Hines, you have James cook on us on a, on a rookie contract. If you want to draft more of a bruising back or like we've talked about, like you've talked about quite a bit at, uh, you know, you've tweeted about it. We've talked about it offline. There are a ton of yeah. running backs hitting free agency this off season. So the chances of you acquiring a really solid running back for pretty cheap on the open market as a role type player, you know, like they don't need a three down back, which is, you know, like if Saquon Barkley hits the open market, he's more of a three down back. He's going to get paid, but these other guys are going to fit into role specific teams. I think, you know, like 
and, and the Bills are have sort of signaled by all the moves over the last couple of years that they don't want a three-down running back. They want guys who fit mm-hmm. specific roles, and they've sort of set it up to be flexible with that. So I don't think I don't even think they made this move knowing whether Hines is going to be on the roster next year or not. But I think he could be if you know if financially they can make it work and he has success you know, down this, down the, the you know, in the, the second half of, the of this season. Yeah. So that's and exactly how I read it. That's exactly how I read this is they don't know. They don't care. They got him for 10 weeks plus the postseason. However, this pans out is going to dictate what happens next year. Let me tell you how this is going to go though. Just kind of having been sitting here watching Brandon Bean do his, his work for five, four or five seasons. Now they're going to ask him to take a pay cut. When he says no, they're going to release him. Then they're going to try to sign him back on a better contract. What they're not going to do is just flat out restructure this contract and add void years because he hates it. Brandon Mina hates it. He's done it. There's a couple of guys that have those on the roster right now, but they're going to have to restructure Von Miller. They probably have to restructure Josh Allen just to get themselves financially healthy next year. And that's going to be probably more than he wants to do off the top. So you're right. With 12 guys who can run the ball and, and a couple that can catch out of the backfield sitting there in the open market, the way I read it is you got leverage over your current guys, right? If it's non-guaranteed, yeah. it's totally non-guaranteed. He's going to say, Hey, let's drop this thing down to two and a half million. We'll build in some per game bonuses. We'll build in some incentives that, that you can, you can get it back. Similar to what happened with Jordan Poyer this year. And if that offer is refused, you're just going to go and try to find one of these guys in the market, a Madison or Rashad Penny, somebody like that. So I, I do think you're right. There's going to be a surplus of supply and demand situation, but again, it's a good move today. That's all that matters. Uh, let's flip to the Dolphins, who made big swings here. One for a running back as well. Is Jeff Wilson necessary on this roster? That's question number one. Or was that simply, I know who that guy is from Mike McDaniel's standpoint. I want him here with Mostert because that one-two punch can work for me, regardless of how the rest of this thing works out, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, necessary is uh, maybe not the word I would use, but I do uh, your, your later point there, I think is dead on. I mean, there's obviously familiarity there. Um, yeah, and- how, about, how about the fact that this was a fifth round pick for Jeff Wilson when Himes went for a, a sixth that could be a fifth, you know, James Robinson went for a sixth that could be a fifth. They, they flat out went fifth round pick on Jeff Wilson on a one year, $575,000 contract through the rest of the season. That's it. That's an overpay, right? Yeah. Pro- I mean, probably at the end of the day, but um, it, maybe uh, like the uh, previous situation, maybe other teams were involved that we haven't heard about yet that sure. forced the price up a little bit. I don't know, but obviously Mike McDaniel identified Jeff Wilson Um after the CMC trade, San Francisco, probably with Elijah Mitchell coming back. They also have some rookies in that room. They probably felt they had some depth there and wanted to kind of claw back some of what they gave up for McCaffrey. So um, the, the maybe the most interesting point of this to me is that Wilson and Moster aren't terribly different. Like neither of them are straight pass catching running backs. They both can do a little bit of that. Neither of them are like a passing specialist. So you exit. Chase Edmonds, who you just signed that, I mean, I was big on that signing because I thought that was a targeted move by the dolphins and they were going to utilize him. Um, We didn't see that and they haven't been throwing to their running backs at all. It's all going to Hill and Waddle really. So if you don't need that role on your team, they're doubling up on the, on the most Jeff Wilson tandem. And I don't have a problem with it. I just, I just think it's particularly interesting 
um, that they sort of went that route, right? We, t- we typically see them, you know, teams try and, like I just talked about with the Bills, identify roles for guys. They sort of are just like taking Wilson and Moster and saying, let's roll with you two, you know? So I'll, interesting. I'll to say me. this too. You mentioned the Edmonds move. It's important. It kind of got thrown into the Bradley Chubb, you know, you know situation as, as kind of a throw-in. It was not a throw-in. Chase Edmonds out, Jeff Wilson in, saves $500,000 on their cap this year, which if you think that's, not, that's nothing, they only have about $250,000 of cap space right now. So the Bills, Interesting. The Bills I love and the that Dolphins point. are both razor thin right now on the cap. They're all in, financially speaking. And the Dolphins needed every dollar. So that's a huge financial move for them in what could be considered a football upgrade too, based on what you just laid out, right? There's a, there's a connection. Mostert knows him. McDaniel knows him. To me, that's going to hit. By the way, Jeff Wilson, a, a top candidate for the Bills next year, now that we've laid this out. Top candidate. I mean, he's, <laughs> on, the, it, he's, actually, on, yeah. he's on the top three right there. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Chubb, they brought him in at $7 million. They have to take that on right now. They're going to restructure that with an extension because they gave up a first and a fourth to bring him in the door, plus Chase Edmonds. I mean, this was just, the, this was just filling a massive need, right, for today and for tomorrow. Can I play stupid? Maybe we'll just lay this out for the listeners. Why? Why was he available? Yeah, is that a, just a contract situation? Yeah, they they weren't going to pay him, but I don't know why they couldn't franchise tag him. <laughs> okay, know? all right, that's why I wasn't even sure. Like, was there? I didn't hear. I don't know too much about him to be honest, so I don't want to speak on it. I just didn't really know why he was like available with term and the status of the player. They gave up so much. You know, they still gave up a first round pick. You don't see first round picks exchange at the trade deadline that much. So no, we don't. it was just a little surprising. I wasn't really sure why he was even on the block, but that makes sense if it was just contractual. I, to some degree. I mean, they signed Randy Gregory last year from Den from, from Dallas to a big time free agent contract. He's injured though. He's on the IR. That's kind of been his bugaboo for quite a bit, uh, you know, outside of some other things, I guess he's just going to be the, the next guy up in Denver and they, they weren't going to go top of the market for Bradley Chubb. Except for, I don't think Bradley Chubb's a top of the market guy. I've only got him at eighteen million a year. The top of the edge market is twenty eight million a year right now. So I, he's missed a ton of time. He missed a bunch of time last year. He's he doesn't have the sack numbers that a Watt or, or the Boses can put together. He's just to me, he's never panned out as where he was drafted. So I I think Denver getting off of this and getting a first round pick back after they gave up so freaking many for an embattled quarterback right now is a huge win for the Broncos. And I guess this is, this is still considered an upgrade for Miami because this was one of their massive holes right now. So we'll see what, what the contract looks like. Generally speaking, when you talk about trade compensation like this, a top of the market contract is coming. So if we're talking about 25 million a year for Bradley Chubb, good luck, Miami. That's all I'm going to say with that. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say with that. Uh, Roquan Smith. Do you like it for now, even if we don't have to talk about what happens next year? Yeah, I mean, the, the Ravens identifying linebackers is yeah. uh, pretty dependable. So I'm not going to try and poke holes through that. I like just listening to you and other smart people on this kind of stuff. I, I know it has created some contract stuff, but I want to believe they didn't just double down on having contract issues. Like, I think they have a plan, whether it's lock up Lamar or lock up. Roquan Smith and franchise Lamar again, but I mean, I mean, don't right. You think they have a, a laid out plan or that or direction they want to go with this, right? They didn't just screw themselves. Did they? 
Yeah, I think they kind of did. <laughs> um, look, the last time they had a top of the market inside linebacker, it was CJ Mosley. And the Jets went bonkers on CJ Mosley, right? They gave up 50 million guaranteed, 18 million a year at the time when I think the next inside linebacker was at like 14. I mean, they went way above and beyond to pull that guy away from Baltimore. Now, Baltimore probably had a decent offer in, but you know what? That's kind of Baltimore's thing now. We're going to make a decent offer on all of our guys, whether they're elite or not. And if somebody else can usurp it, good for them. Because that's the Lamar situation. No question about it. Lamar is being undercut right now. So what's to say that Roquan Smith isn't going to be undercut? Now, look, I don't have him valued at $20 million a year. I don't have him with Shaq Leonard or Fred Warner or any of these top paid off-ball linebacker markets. I've got him at 18. I've got him at the exact same contract I have Bradley Chubb, 5 for 90. Do I think either of these guys are going to sign 5 for 90? Not a chance in hell. Okay, especially since an in-season trade bagged the, the Bears a second and a fifth and another linebacker. So I know where this is headed for Rokon Smith, but having watched Lamar and having seen the Mosley situation, having seen quite, quite a bit of their, of other contracts come and go with Baltimore, I don't know that this is going to be a good situation in March for any of these guys. So do I think that at the end of the day, there's going to be $67 million per year handed out to these two players? No, but which one doesn't get the contract? That's the, that's what's fascinating. Because it's possible, Dan, that both these guys enter 2023 with nothing, with nothing. And it's possible that this was a very expensive 10-week rental for Baltimore. And if it was, I guess I kind of respect it because this is a team that is, is this the third best team in the AFC right now? Let me put it that way. Mm. It's a far drop off of Bills and Chiefs, but isn't yeah, this yeah. team sitting right there? Contention, for sure. Yep. This guy's going to help for 10 weeks, and if that's not worth a second-round pick, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm okay if they end up saying, thanks for, thanks for the 10 weeks or, and plus the postseason, and uh, we're sorry you want $20 million a year. We can't be the team that does that. Adios. So I, I think there's a real chance that this is just a very expensive rental. Um, couple more here and we'll get out of here. Robert Quinn to the Eagles, just salt on the wound for the rest of the NFC. Yeah, basically just a good move for, for them from that perspective. And can, can no I, major. Can I lay this out differently? Because now that we've gone through all these trades and we've seen what everybody else has been worth, and this was early, remember, this was one of the first trades to hit. The, the Bears sent Roquan, or excuse me, sent Robert Quinn. And by the way, the rest of his contract got chopped off. So you can't say that he had three years left on this deal and they're sending, you know, a good pass rusher with two and a half years left. And that was factored into the compensation. And they also retained all of the salary, all of it, all the way down to the minimum, $684,000. That's what got spent, sent over to Philadelphia. They ate an additional $7.1 million of cash, the Chicago Bears did, to make this move. Do you know what they got back, Dan? No. A starting pass rusher with $7 million of cash got them a fourth-round pick. I don't think this one's being talked about enough. That's a fleece wow. job by Philly. 
Yeah, wow. You pay everything. We'll give you a fourth-round pick. That's an absolute fleecing. Now, I realize he's not a great player right now, but he was the sack leader last year. So you put him around a great defense, and he's not going to just mold into the Robert Quinn of old. I, I, I have a hard time believing this one's going to work out for Chicago. Let's put it that way. Anybody yeah, else wow. we got to talk about here? Anybody you thought should have been traded? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> business decision-wise, a lot of the running backs should have been moved. Should've I been. mean, sure. I mean, Kareem Hunt, it seems dead there. He wants out. Yeah, where's that going? I mean, I, I, I don't mean, know. I thought he was going to get traded. Team? I think we're going to little bit more about this, yeah. Yeah, I was even a little surprised at his usage Monday night. Like, exactly. I thought they would have either just held him out or played him. But, like, the fact that he's, like, vocally saying I'd prefer to be traded, you know, rather than just saying, oh, I'm fine with whatever happens, but I know I'm a, I'm in the talks. Um, yeah, I don't know where that goes, but it seems done. But he he's, like, a sneaky candidate next year for somebody to give him, like, a or a chance at being an RB1 on a lesser contract, right? Like, I think Barkley's going to get the highest contract, but – um, there's a non-zero chance that he could be, you know, the seventy percent of a of a backfield split. You know, he's he. We haven't seen it since he got suspended from from KC for the you know the obvious reasons. But um, I think the Rams are going to be that team, by the way. Um, yeah, I I like it. I thought that they would trade for him, quite honestly. But what do they have to trade? <laughs> they have no picks or anything. They have right? no picks, and he's he was expensive. He's over three million when you talk about his per game bonuses built into it. So I think that was a big big factor here. Um, I'm really disappointed that the Raiders didn't move Josh Jacobs. Really disappointed. I know you were on that a lot the last yeah, couple of weeks thinking I, it was going to happen. I yeah. think they're a sinking ship. They should know that by now. They should stop, you know, crying about it on, on radio shows and actually do something about it because just allowing him now to hit the, the open market and deal with whatever comp pick you get back, that shouldn't have been enough. You, you should have done your due diligence, built in some conditional draft picks, got yourself more than one, and just cut bait here. You already have his replacement drafted. Now, he's not going to be near what Josh Jacobs can be right now, but it's, this, the rest of the season is just going to be a microcosm of what you think you should be going forward. So I think that was a huge swing and a miss by the Raiders. Anytime you have maximum value on a running back, you should trade him, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just... Why are we yeah, a guy who had no who had no value six months ago either? Exactly. I mean, they didn't even want to they didn't even want to pick up the option. Like exactly. just said, it so. a, it's a total sell high situation, and they punted on it. So I don't agree with that one at all. Outside of that, you know, Carolina keeping a couple of their defensive players that's fine. They're, obviously, we we see what they can be when there's competency in that offense, right? They can stick around games, especially in their division right now. So do they have to blow it all up? No, I I, I agree with that. Um, Pittsburgh kind of buying and selling is a little bit weird, but that's on brand for them. They, I don't think there'll ever be a world where Pittsburgh tanks all the way down, especially not if Mike Tomlin's the coach. So that's sort of on brand. Uh, you know, the bears have been, were kind of weird. Did the jets just taking on James Robinson? Did that surprise you, especially where they are in the standings right now? Or do you think that they are accepting what, what the next 10 weeks are going to be for them? I I don't really know what the hell that move was to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I get it. Brees Hall injured. I'm not naive, but um, it it just, I, I, he had a couple good weeks at the beginning in Jacksonville. There's still a lot of, you know, rumbles that he's not totally healthy. I don't really 
I mean, if it was just a depth move, but you have Michael Carter, who you just drafted high a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what that team is, right? I mean, they're they're nothing to me as long as Zach Wilson's the quarterback there. So I don't really know why you're acquiring offensive talent specifically at the running back position. But um, and then no, you know, no Elijah Moore move. I, I don't even know that they should have, but it just seemed like yeah, or that situation is deteriorating. Yeah, they did it last year with Mims too, yeah. um, and again this year. But you know what I mean? Like back to back years, you had a trade asset you know, the defense is sort of set up there. You should start sort of looking to kind of rebuild that offense. If you can, um, I, I, that, that, that was a little puzzling to me. Yeah. All right. Last question. I'll make it the, uh, kid gets one yet, including McCaffrey, including Robbie Anderson, which we didn't get to, but we've talked about quite a bit here, which one of these is going to pan out best. Uh, I said it early, maybe it's cause I'm, uh, just heavily invested in him, but Kadarius Tony, I think I, think if you haven't seen game footage of Kadarius Tony, he is a scary, scary weapon. Um, he's only played like four or five games in New York. He's been injured so much. I think a lot of that injury stuff this year was a little bit more um, of the situation. The team didn't want him out Hell there. Yeah. He didn't want to be out there. So I think like anyone just saying like the guy, the guy doesn't even have a hamstring right now. Um, I think that's a little misguided, but man, if there's a team that it, like, so to my original point, his tape is scary. Like there are very few guys that could be um, a weapon. Like he, he's like a mix of like Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf to me. Like um, yep. he, he's just super dynamic. So to paint a broad stroke, I think Andy Reed plus Patrick Mahomes plus just that offensive, um, you know, the context, the atmosphere around him. I think he's, he's to the moon, but um, that's yeah. just me. <laughs> I, uh, we talked about it quite a bit as well earlier, but I think, I think there's a solid chance that TJ Hawkinson just won the Vikings, the NFC. Yeah. I like that as well. I like that as well, Mike. That's a good choice. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff, man. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Awesome. Mike. Thanks. All right. Good stuff there. My thanks to Dan. My thanks to the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track, sign up, get 40% off and talk about trade stuff till you're blue in the face. Cause they've got it graded. They've got it broken out by team, by city by organization, by league, whatever you like, whatever you want to follow, theathletic.com slash Trek get you started. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. <laughs>